0: New people to the jar, and so um, it's just a great way to to get plugged in here. So, um, for those who are new and want to get plugged in, the the meet and greet will be going on today in the conference room. And if our ushers will come up, um, we're going to take up offering. Um, If you're new here, uh, we don't want your money. We're not trying to force you to give us money. Just please drop in your your connect card on the offering. This is for people who are members here at the jar, and so um, yeah. Uh, I'll pray for the offering, and, and we will take it up. So, um, Lord, we just thank you so much for, for just everything you do, Lord. And as we give our money and, Lord, and just um, our time and, and everything, Lord, um, we just want to do it for you. And it's not just about giving some money or, or anything. It's just, um, it's just showing our love to you, Lord. And, and, Lord, we want to do that. And so we just pray over this offering that we use it to your will. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks, Terry. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Chris, and if, uh, I have been missing in action for a little while, uh, so it's good to be back with you. Uh, I, I wondered if I should check visitor on the card. Uh, someone came up to me afterwards and said, Are you new here? And, uh, so, uh, we're glad to be back, and after a couple of difficult months in our lives, um, we're very grateful for our church family and all the prayers, uh, that you guys have, uh, prayed for us. Well, today we are in uh, part five of our series called Life's Healing Choices. And this morning, I want to spend the entire morning looking at one particular passage of Scripture uh, and one story of a guy in the Bible by the name of Jacob. And his story is found in the first book of the Bible in Genesis and in particular, we're going to be looking at two chapters, chapter 31 and chapter 32. Now, before we get too far, uh, I want to just give you a little bit of background of who uh, Jacob is. Um, Jacob's story begins with a fight with his brother Esau. Any of you ever have a fight with your siblings? Yeah, that'd be the correct answer, okay? And, um... So, he starts off with this fight with his older brother Esau. You see, Esau was the oldest. And in Jewish culture, if you were the oldest, you received two-thirds of your father's inheritance. And Jacob cheated his brother out of two-thirds of his wealth, and he took it himself. And Jacob and Esau are at odds with each other their entire life. But it wasn't just Esau that Jacob had an issue with or had conflict with, but he also had conflict with his wife and his father-in-law and his brother-in-law and even God himself, which we'll look at to today. And Jacob is just having conflict everywhere in his life. It would be like Tiger Woods today. I mean, conflicting things all happening to that poor man all at once often by his own choice but it's all hitting him at once now when we pick up the story in chapters 31 and 32 Jacob is between a rock and a hard place first he has a conflict with his father-in-law whose name is Laban Laban was actually a cheater as well And he had cheated Jacob out of uh, his first daughter and made Jacob uh, actually work 14 years to marry his second daughter, Rachel. And there's this bad blood between his father-in-law and Jacob. And so there's this big fight that's going on between them. Also, again, it's not just Laban, but also his brother Esau has not forgotten what He has done to him. He has stolen his inheritance. And so, Jacob, in the midst of this conflict, he has these words that is shared in the Bible. And it says this, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all his wealth from what belonged to our father." And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. I mean, it wasn't very good to begin with, and now it says that it's even worse than what it was before. So Jacob looks around, and he notices that both his father-in-law and his brothers in law are ticked off at him. And so Jacob comes up with a great plan. He decides that he's going to take his two wives... Leah and Rachel. And now he has 11 sons. And he's going to take all of them, including Laban's grandkids, and take off. Now, you also have to remember at this time, so there's a caravan of 11 sons, two wives. And now Jacob is wealthy at this point, And so he has all these goats and sheep and other things. And he says, hey, guys sneak out away from Laban. So he gets the whole family group together and he tells them this: "We're going to leave quietly. Can you imagine eleven kids trying to leave quietly? I have two kids, and they never leave quietly. And just imagine, you have 11 kids, two wives, a bunch of sheep and goats, and you're trying to escape and leave quietly. And once Laban hears about this, he is ticked off. He is mad, and he starts going after Jacob. Now, why do you think Laban's so upset? Is there anyone here who is a grandparent? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of us. About a third of us here. Now... Do you love your grandkids or your kids more? Don't answer that, okay? (laughs) Your grandkids, right? And so Jacob's like, You've just taken all of my grandkids? I don't think so. I'm coming after you, buddy. And so Laban goes after Jacob, and he is ticked because he has taken his grandkids away from him. But that's only part of the battle. So, Here is Laban coming after him. Now, Jacob is going back home. Who is still at home? Esau, his brother. The one that he stole his inheritance. Two-thirds. And he's coming this way. He's going into trouble, running away from trouble. And Jacob sends some gifts ahead of him to try to ease it all out. And he thinks, man, if I send enough goats and sheep and gold and all kinds of stuff, then Esau will be like, all right. You know, I'm not going to kill you. But Jacob is in the middle of some hot water. He sends some servants with him to take these gifts, and the servants come back, and they've got bad news. I mean, it is really bad news. They said, you know what? Esau took all of your gifts. He had no problem with it whatsoever. But he has 400 people in an army, and he's coming after you. His father-in-law is coming one way, his brother is coming the other way, and Jacob is in a mess. He's reaping, though, a lifetime of poor choices that he made. Everything is out of his hands now, though, and he just cries out to God, and he asks for God to show up and to make a change. And that's why we call this first phase that God wants to help us through the conflict stage, struggling with other people. You go through that every time, which is what jo- Jacob is doing. And listen and notice what how he prays. Here's his prayer. Oh God, oh Lord, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown me. Save me, I pray, because I'm afraid. You see, Jacob is at the end of his rope. He's between a rock and a hard place, and he is scared to death. Now, what's actually going to happen here? Well, the first choice of life's healing choices happens in this moment. It's called reality choice. You see, Jacob's facing reality now. And we looked at it in week one. And let's look at what it says. In fact, let's read it together. It'll come up on the screen here. Let's read this together. Realize, that means all of us, just in case you were wondering all. Okay, let's do it again. Realize I'm not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and my life unmanageable. And my life's unmanageable. And this is where Jacob's at. He is in stage one, phase one, when he gets to this point. And folks, until you get to this point in your life, you'll never find change. It'll never happen. I mean, change only comes when you're like Jacob and you cry out to God and you say, Lord, I don't deserve this. I'm a cheat. There's no doubt. I've got all this conflict in my life. I'm the one who's created it. But God, I've got to have your help. If you don't show up right now, my life is going to continue to be a mess. This is the reality choice. And it's the first beatitude that Jesus gave in His most famous sermon when He said this, God blesses those who realize their need for Him. Folks, that's the starting part. The starting point of your life. Nothing happens in your life until you realize your need for Him. Where you just say, I cannot solve this on my own, God. I have this conflict. I can't deal with it. I can't make anything right. I can't make my marriage right. I can't make my relationships right. I can't make my kids right. I can't make anything right. You've got to show up. In fact, I can't make anyone change. I can only focus on myself. So you come and help me, God. So you simply say, God, I need your help. More than anything else, I want you because you're the only one who can meet my greatest needs. Well, that's the first change, conflict. Here's the second kind of phase that we go through. It's called the crisis phase. It's the crisis phase. And in this stage, you're not just struggling with other people now. Now, you're struggling with God. You're struggling with God. In Jacob's story, we find that in the midst of his struggle... That it's not just with these two people, Esau and Laban, but that his real struggle is with God. He knows the next day that 400 people are coming one way and his father-in-law and his brothers are coming the other way and they're going to kill him. They're going to wipe him out. So finally, Jacob does something courageous and he says, I'm going to take all my family and I'm going to let them go a little bit further ahead into safety and I'll stay back by myself all alone, almost supposedly like, if they're going to come get me, they'll get me by myself. But in the middle of the night, Jacob gets in a fight. But it's not a fight with Laban, and it's not a fight with his brother Esau, but the fight is with God. He wrestles with God. I mean, this was the first WWF. Okay? Let's get ready to rumble! I've always wanted to do that. Think I get a job? (laughs) Stay with what I'm doing. I heard it. Okay. But Jacob's in a conflict with other people, but that's not really his main conflict. His main conflict is he is wrestling with God. The Bible says this. Jacob got them, his family... Safely across the brook Jabbok, along with all his possessions, but Jacob stayed behind and left, and was left all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until dawn. This is a wrestling match. That man is God. I just want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever wrestled with God? Have you ever woke up in the middle of the night? Something is weighing on you so heavy. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's a financial crisis that you're going through. But you are struggling with God. And you start wrestling. And you can't sleep. That's why Jacob's experiencing. And so when this man, that is God saw that he couldn't win, the scripture says, he struck Jacob's hip and knocked it out of joint at the socket. Now the question becomes, what's going on here? Well, Jacob's biggest conflict is not with his brother, it's not with his father-in-law, it's not with his wife, but it's with God. His biggest struggle is with God. He might try to camouflage it in many other ways, just like we do. But when we feel disconnected, it's because we're not connected with God. And God tells Jacob, okay, we're going to have it out. You and me, mano y mano, let's go for it. And God shows up in human form and he wrestles with Jacob. Folks, the reality is the biggest struggle in your life right now is not your marriage, It's not your job. It's not any of those other things. Your biggest struggle in your life right now is your wrestling with God. You're in a wrestling match. And when you wrestle with God, it doesn't bother God at all. And why is that? Why doesn't it bother bother God that we would wrestle with Him? Because wrestling is a contact sport. Yorktown High School wrestled this weekend. They came in second. They had multiple wrestlers that went. And I've seen many wrestling matches, and they are close with each other, and they are all wrapped around each other, and it is close, and there is contact. And this is the reality, folks. God would rather have you close and up in His face and as close and mad and ticked off than for you to be distant and away from Him. He'd rather you be like, God, I don't like my life right now. I don't like what's going on. I don't like this situation. I'm ticked off. I'm mad at you. You can even cuss God out if you want to. God's bigger than that, and He would rather have your cuss words hitting Him and for you to be real than to be fake and to act like everything in life is going great and you have no problems at all when your hip is out of socket. So, when God tells, so when we tell God what we really think, God doesn't get mad at us. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't go, oh gosh. He says, fine, let's do it. Let's just see how big of a man or a woman you are. You think you can control your life and do it better than I can? Let's see how it goes. God doesn't mind wrestling with us because it's a close personal sport. And he'd, have, he'd rather have us close and angry and mad or whatever the images are that you're going through in your own life than to be distant and away from it. Now you might be asking at this point, Chris, how can you be so sure that this person that was wrestling with Jacob was God? I mean, how do you know it wasn't some thug on the street, some punk They just came up and they're trying to take Jacob out because he's by himself. Well, the Bible tells us something different later on in Hosea. And it says this, Before Jacob was born, he struggled with his brother. When he became a man, he even fought with who? God. Let me make just a little parallel observation at this point. You know the biggest problem in your life is right now, don't you? You know what that is. We're not going to ask you, but think about that. You know what that is. And the crisis and the difficulty that you're going through right now, this very moment, that ain't your real problem. I mean, that's the problem that you think you're having. Maybe it's with your kids, your husband, your spouse, your job, your finances, your friends. Some kind of problem. But that's only the symptom of what the bigger struggle is that's going on in your life right now. And that is the fact that you're wrestling with God. I mean, who is going to be the God in your life? Does God have the right to tell you what to do? Does he have the right to call the shots in your life? Folks, your greatest struggle is not with other people or other things, but your greatest struggle, my greatest struggle, every day, is I want to wrestle with God. Because I think Chris Bunch can run his life better than what God can run my life. So who has ultimate control? You or Him? Now you might be asking, well, what is my struggle with God? And the biggest struggle that we all face with God is this. When things don't go the way that we want them to, or they don't go as fast as we want them to, we take matters into our own hands. We don't wait. We don't trust God. We go, God, I'm going to give you about an hour. Hours up. I'm taking my life. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, where I want, and how I want. It might be your job, your house, a car, whatever it is. And people get in debt, and they go through marital problems and all kinds of stuff. And the whole focus is not the marital problems or debt. The whole problem is they want to be God. I want you to think of your biggest problem. I asked you a little bit ago. You got it? Whatever that problem is, there are two things. That are true. Will I trust God and will I obey Him? That's the only way you'll get through that problem. Is if you trust God and you obey Him in it. And any time that you're not doing those two things, it's like wrestling WWF with God. When you don't trust and you don't obey. You're thinking, I don't really think God's going to take care of me on this one. So I'm going to jump in here and I'm just going to do it myself. And things get messy and whacked out, and a few months later you're like, why did I do that? You see, the root of all conflict is you want to be in charge. You want to be in control. You want to be God. I mean, the root of all of our problems, the root of Chris Bunch's problems, all of his problems, all of my problems, are the fact that I want to control things, I want to be in charge. And when we do this and we say, okay, God, let's have it out. Let's go to the mat. Let's wrestle. God says, okay, you tell me when, I'll be there. Let's just see who's really in charge. You see, folks, God doesn't like to do it, but if He has to, He'll take you to the mat. Because He loves you too much. He wouldn't want you to go through life not having happiness and blessings because you're trying to control everything. Because this is what is true. He loves you just the way you are, but He loves you too much for you to stay that way. He loves you just the way you are, but He loves you too much for you to stay that way. So if He has to, He'll wrestle with you so that He can help there be changes In your life. Because this is what I found in my life. When the pain in my life finally exceeds the fear and worry and anger and whatever that is, but when the pain gets so great, that's when I'm at the best place I can be. Because ultimately, I give up and I say, God, I can't do it. You do it. That goes to our whole focus of the second step, which is up here. And let's read it together. Earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to Him, and that He has the power to help me recover. So, stage one is conflict with other people, stage two is a crisis with God, and that leads us to the third stage, which is the commitment stage. And this is where you become serious about change. You say, You know what? I'm ready. I'm ready, God. I've given up. I'm ready for you to put some change in my life. And it's at this point where we typically cry out to God and we say, God, you've got to help me. This marriage, this habit, this relationship, whatever, I know it's never going to change unless I give you total control of it. And I will not stop. Until you bless me, I'll pray every day. I'll talk about it. Until you bless my life, I want your blessing. In fact, this is what Jacob exactly did. The Bible says this. Then the man, that's God, said, Let me go, for it is dawn. When is dawn? In the morning or at night? It's like when the morning starts. So they've been wrestling like all night long. I mean, there was dancing with the stars, okay, that was happening. But they were wrestling all night long. And this is what it says. But Jacob panted. He's out of breath. He's tired. All night long he's been wrestling. I won't let you go unless you bless me. That's what Jacob said. Can you just hear the passion in Jacob's voice? He's saying, God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless my life. I'm going to hold on. Regardless of all the stuff that's going on in my life, I'm going to hold on until you bless me. And folks, God loves passionate praying. God hates this kind of prayer. Oh, dear God. Uh, didn't know. Maybe woulda, coulda. Should have, but you get a break. Maybe you could help me out a little bit. Uh, I'm in a world of pain. Uh, Give me a break. Amen. God's like, what? Don't give me one of those little wimpy prayers. Cry out to me. Be passionate. God wants passionate prayers. God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless my life. That's commitment. That's this third choice. Let's read it together. Consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Keyword there? all. Every morning you have to wake up and you say it's all. It's all or nothing. I don't know. I love to watch these poker, you know, these poker things, and I never know anything about poker, but I watch it anyways. And I, I like it when, you know, those guys get real cocky and tough and they go, all in. That's what God wants out of your life. He wants you to take your whole life and say, you know not want God? It's all in. You take it. You do whatever you want. I'm pushing it. All in. Now, I want you to notice something in the verse that we just uh, looked at. And it's this phrase, let me go for it is dawn. You see, they've been wrestling together all night long. And God could have overpowered him at any time. He could have just been like, pin. Or he could have been like, okay, you want me to bless your life, I'm going to bless it. He doesn't do either one of those things. And the question is why? God has the power to do that. Why didn't he either pin him or say, okay, I'll bless your life? Why doesn't He just answer very quickly? And for you and I, it deals with this issue of prayer. Why doesn't He answer our prayers immediately? Right when we pray them, why doesn't He answer those? I mean, God could have said, I mean, you know, wouldn't that be great if we could just say, God, I need this, and bam, it happens. Why does He let this thing go on until dawn? Why does He delay to answer His prayers? Why is there a struggle? Why does God let it go on? Because the reality is, God limits Himself in the story, doesn't He? One, He becomes man, but two, He allows Him to wrestle with Him. What's going on here? What is this struggle? And for our purposes here today, why doesn't God answer your prayers immediately? Well, I think there are two reasons why he does not And the first is this. God wants to know, are you really serious? Are you really serious about what you're asking him to do? You see, folks, there is a difference between a whim and a desire. You see it all the time in grocery stores. A mom or dad's going down. There's a preschooler right beside them. They're walking down. And all of a sudden, the preschooler looks up and goes, Daddy, I want this! And if the dad looks down and says, No! And they forget about it and they just go on. What is that? That's a whim. They could care less if they get it or don't get it. But, and they're going down they're going, Daddy, I need this! No, Daddy, I need this. No, Daddy, I need this. No, Daddy, kid No, I'm just saying we don't do that. No, but if the kid's persistent, you see it all the time. The kid stays persistent. He's like, this desire, I've just got to have Elmo. And eventually, what do you see? The parents, either they're overwhelmed at that point, or they're like, wow, I want to give my kid good stuff. How much is it? Two bucks for a little Elmo thing. Okay. You don't think your Heavenly Father wants to give you good stuff in your life? But I'll tell you what, you just throw up one prayer, and you think that's going to change everything. He's like, are you serious about it? Folks, God doesn't answer whims. If you don't care enough to pray about it more than one time in a fleeting moment as you're running into the house, then God's like, are you sure? The second reason God waits is God is not a vending machine God. I love vending machines because rarely do we use them, hardly too much anymore. But every once in a while, you'll be at a hotel or something, you'll go to a vending machine, you know, and you can put the dollar in. And it always feels great. They're taking your money, but you feel cool because you're like, hey, look, worked on the first time. Any of you never been? Am I the only one? You get it. You get the crisp dollar, even, not the crinkled one. And you're working it, and you're working it, and it doesn't work. But God's not a vending machine, God. You can't just put it in there, crinkled paper or whatever, and put it in and just think, okay, give me what I want. You know, the reality is, most things that come out of a vending machine harm you. They're not good for you. Why would God be that type of God that every time you think you really, really need this thing, that He's just going to give it to you? God is not some genie in the bottle that you rub. That's what your prayer is. You're rubbing on, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, poop. Now let me grant you three wishes. God doesn't serve you. You serve God. Some of you, that's all you need today. You could leave right now. Don't do that, okay? God doesn't serve you. You serve God. Because the reality is that God is God, and you're not. If God answered every single one of your prayers... That you have ever prayed in your life, you know what you would be? The most selfish person in this place. Any of you ever see the movie Bruce Almighty? It's a story about a guy who's like, God, and ticked off at you, my life's not going so well, and God says, go ahead, you be God for a little bit. And if you remember in that story, what happens is, he gets all of these prayer requests on his email, and what does he do? He just answers yes to all of them. And then what happens? Everything blows up. His life becomes true chaos. You see, God is patient, and He is okay to let you go through some struggles because the reality is, folks, you didn't get in whatever mess you're in right now overnight, and you won't get out of it overnight. I mean, some of you are in a huge mess. You, can't, you haven't even told anyone some of the things that you're struggling with. Well, I'll tell you why. It didn't happen instantly. It took years for you to get to that place. You didn't make just one bad choice, but it was a series of bad choices. I can't tell you how many times I'll be up front and people will come up uh, afterwards And they'll ask for a prayer, and they'll share some deep stuff in their life. And I'm so grateful. But then all of a sudden, they just kind of wait there like, okay, you got the answer? And I I remember one time, I was like, well, you've been, man, this sounds like a big problem that you're going through. Like, how long has it been? Well, I've been married 21 years. And you expect me in 60 seconds to be like, oh, Lord, come down here. Oh, 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 yeah, he's all good now. Life doesn't happen that way. Let me just give you a hint. When you get to this third stage, what you do is you hang on. You just hang on. Don't give up until God blesses you. You stay there. You might say, God saved my marriage. And you pray one time, and then you're like, that oh, didn't work. Okay, I'm going towards divorce. No. You hang on. God, do something with this relationship with my brother. It's not going very well. You pray it? Okay. Then you write him off for the rest of your life. No. You hang on. I remember when we first started the jar. And it was a very difficult... Any of you that have ever started a business, you understand this. But it's very difficult to start anything. And for every time that we would try to reach out and touch one person, we had 7 to 10 people that were like, hand to the face, see you later. And the rejection and discouragement came. And what I noticed was, when all that hit me, rather than me being, God, I'm going to give you control, I just got mad and angry. But I didn't get mad at the nice church people, or the people that I was trying to reach out to. You know where I brought my anger at? At home. My temper would fly off, and Jennifer, you could just see her, crushed a little bit more each day. And you know why? Because I didn't want to make a commitment just to God alone. I wanted to be the one that was controlling and running the church and how fast we'd grow and what would happen. And I remember when I finally hit that moment, God, I can't even control my own life. I, can't, I got this temper with my wife. How am I going to lead the church? You know what God kind of revealed to me in that moment? I got you exactly where I want you. Golly, Chris, why did it take you that long? Because I totally gave up? You see, the problem with many people, most people, is that they never get the best that God wants for their life because they give up to you. They don't make it until dawn. They just give up. They say, forget it. It isn't worth it. I'm giving up on this dream. I'm giving up on this relationship. I'm giving up on this job. I'm giving up on one more application that I have to put in to see if I even get a job. I'll just not change. That's it. Folks, don't do that. When you stay committed to this uh, third phase, you hold on and you make a commitment to God, I will not let you go until you bless my life. Here's the fourth step, the fourth stage. It's the confession stage. And this is where you share your faults with yourself, with God, and someone else. The confession stage. Chuck Mock, who's our ministry leader of Celebrate Recovery, talked on this last week and did an outstanding job. And the stuff that you're learning here, if you really want to apply it in a deeper way, come to Celebrate Recovery on Thursday at 7 o'clock here at the Y. Because that's where rubber meets the road and people's lives are changing in remarkable ways. This is the step that I call the breakthrough step. Notice in Jacob's life, he's wrestling with God, and then the Bible says this, the man, that is God, asks him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. I don't know about you, but doesn't this sound like a strange question? I mean, why would, he, why would God ask Jacob, what is your name? Doesn't he already know his name? But he still asks, what is your name? Folks, whenever God asks you a question, it's not for his benefit. Did you get that? When he asks you a question, it's not for his benefit. God's not like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. The reason God asks the question is because he wants Jacob to admit who Jacob is. You see, the word Jacob means deceiver or manipulator. And boy, did Jacob live up to his name. I mean, his whole life was one conflict after another. Deceiving, manipulating, trying to get his way. So when God asked, what is your name? He's saying, Jacob, you tell me, who are you? And Jacob had to confess. And he said, this is me. I'm broken. I'm a manipulator. I'm a deceiver. I'm a liar. I'm prideful. I'm a gossip. I'm a worrier. I'm an addict. I'm whatever. I'm a person who loses my temper. In all of his life, Jacob lived up to his name. He deceived his dad. He deceived his father-in-law. He deceived his wife. He deceived God. By the way, I just wonder, take your biggest character flaw, whatever that is. I wonder if we took that and we named you after that, what would your name be? Hi, my name's Bitter. Bitter Beer Face. Hi, it's all about me. Hi, I'm a gossip. You ever hear about Hi, my name is Angry Temper. My name is Lust. You see, in Jacob's day, they always name people after their character. Can you imagine if we did that today? What would your name be? Your name was your label. It was a tattoo. It was your brand. And when Jacob says, I am Jacob, he's basically saying, I am a manipulator. I am a deceiver. But here's the cool thing. When Jacob says, I'm a manipulator, God's not like... I'm shocked. Oh my gosh. I've been wrestling with this guy all night. I didn't know he was a manipulator. If I would have known that, I would have pinned him a long time ago. No. God already knows everything about you folks. Even the stuff that you don't know, He already knows. One of my favorite verses is in Romans 9. It's very short, but it says this. As it is written, Jacob have I loved. I love this because it gives me hope. I mean, if God could love a deceiver, a manipulator like Jacob, just maybe He could love Chris Bunch. If He could love Jacob, who is a cheat, a thief, maybe He could love me. Folks, the point is, if you want lasting change in your life, it all begins with humbleness and humility and honesty. You stop making excuses, you stop blaming somebody else, and you say, God, this is me. Lock, stock, and barrel, it's me. And you deal with the house cleaning choice. Choice number four, which simply says this openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. This is when you finally admit to God, folks, that if you have bad relationships in your life, and you've had them for a long, long time, who's the problem? You! And you say, God, I'm the problem. I'm it. No one else. And here's phase five. This is where God finally responds to our brokenness and our hurt. And it's in this conversion phase. It's where we're converted. It's where we're made new, different. And it happens when we submit to every change God wants. It's our conversion phase. Submitting to every change God wants. It's here where you get a new identity. And your identity is no longer Chris Bunch messed up. But all of a sudden, the light of God comes in front of me. And all of a sudden, I'm seen by God through His light. Look at how it happens in Jacob's life. The Bible says this, Then the man, that is God, said, Your name will no longer be Jacob. God's like, I'm changing you now. Here comes the conversion. But your name will be Israel. Any of you ever heard that name before? Israel? There's a whole nation that is named after. And it's named after now this person who was the deceiver, and now all of a sudden the whole nation that God chooses, He changes this man to it, named Israel. Then He blessed him there, so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face. The first thing you notice in this passage is that Jacob gets a brand new identity. God says, you've been called manipulator, deceiver, cheater, crook, but now I'm going to name you Israel. You know what the name Israel means? It means prince of God. Prince of God. Everybody else saw Jacob as this defeated, mean-spirited, cheating, lying manipulator. And God says, I see you deeper than that. I see you as a prince of God. Beneath all the sin, all the stuff, all the surface that you try to be so bad, I see through it, and I see a prince. Some of you have been given identity tags from your parents that you have held on to for far too long. In fact, today, you should just give it to God. You've heard from your parents. You're a loser. You're lazy. You're not good enough. You're worthless. You're a fake. And on and on and on and on. Or maybe the world has said things to you like, you're fat, you're ugly, you don't look right, and it's all a lie from the pit of hell. And God is saying, so underneath, beneath everything else that you see, I see a princess. I see a prince. I see something So beautiful, because I made it. Would you please turn to me so you can see yourself as I see you? So Jacob gets this new identity. And it's very similar to what we find in the New Testament when Paul says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The second thing that Jacob receives is his blessing. God blesses his life. He gets a brand new identity, and then he's blessed. And this leads us to Jesus' words when he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. To hunger and thirst for righteousness means you don't let go of God until he blesses your life. And I'm not talking about this kind of um, you know, prosperity gospel where, oh God, please bless me financially. Woo! That is not the Bible. God blesses us sometimes with our finances. But what He wants to bless most of all is our lives. And we just say, God, I'm not going to go unless You bless my life. I'm not settling for second best. I'm not letting go. I want your blessing on my life. And that's exactly what Jacob did. Folks, this is the transformation step. And it says this. You voluntarily submit to every change that God wants you to make in my life. And he will change your identity. He'll bless you. And then you humbly ask him to remove your character defects. That's been one of my prayers this whole week. God, i got some character stuff in my life. I need it to be changed. Only You can do that. I voluntarily submit myself to You. Because I want to be better. I want to be different. I know I haven't fully arrived. I know I'm not what I used to be, but I'm not quite what I'm going to be either. And God's not finished with Chris Bunch yet, but He's not finished with every single person here. You're not what you used to be, folks. And when anyone tries to pull you back and say, remember this is... No, you're not that person anymore. But you're not all that you could be. And God wants to continue to give you potential. So He says, hold on to me. Ask me to bless your life. And I will. Jacob's story finally ends. And it says this. The sun rose as Jacob left Peniel. And he was limping because of his hip. You know what the key word in that verse is? The word limping. Because the reality is, folks, God has only ever used people who have a limp. Men and women throughout the Bible who we see as the greatest people of faith, they all had a limp, every single one of them. It may have been an emotional limp, a physical limp, a spiritual limp, a mental limp. Whatever it was, they limped. And I just want you to know that you may not realize it, but whoever you are, you have a limp. There is no person in this place that is limpless. We all have a limp. And God says, that's when I can use you the most when you finally realize that you do have a limp. Paul, the person who wrote over half of the New Testament, he's considered the greatest follower of Jesus Christ. says this, To keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Folks, the reality is, every single person in this place has a weakness. And when you finally get to the point where you stop hiding and masking and trying to act like you have it all together and you simply admit, this is me. That's when God's power can come and begin to work in your life. I want you to know that as your pastor, as someone who loves you, that I love your lump. Because people are only connected to people who limp. And when we try to act like we have it all together, we don't voluntarily submit ourselves to the one who knows us best and loves us most. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, so many of us see ourselves very differently than the way that you see us. We look in the mirror and we just get discouraged and disgusted. Sometimes it's we don't look like that model on the magazine. And sometimes we just look and we think, Man, how could I be so mean to my spouse or... How could I steal from this person or how could I be so deceptive? And we look in the mirror, God, and we think, ugh. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, right now for that for that image you just gave me. It's almost like when we get out of the shower and the and the mirror is so foggy and we look and we just can't see anything clear. And God, you're the one who comes and clears it all up and says, Look, now look, look deeper. This is what I see. You are a prince. You are a princess. You are the one who I knew and made and formed even before you were in your mother's womb. I just ask you to pray this in your heart by yourself right now. God, help me to see myself as you see me. Help me to see myself as a prince, a princess, as your child who you love. And God, I know for that to happen, I have to give up everything that I know about trying to control my life and give it to you. And so right now, God, to the best way that I know how, I give my one and only life asking that you would use me for your honor and for your glory. God, thank you for your people in this place today. They could have slept in, they could have done tons of things, but your spirit was here today and we're so grateful for it. And may we live lives this week that are changed. For your glory and honor we pray. Amen. Hey guys, know you're always loved in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything, come on up.